This is Mind Your Business, and I'm your host, Bob Burnett. I'm the CEO of Barefoot Mining, a Bitcoin mining company, and the former Chief Technology Officer of the PC company, Gateway. On Mind Your Business, we explore all topics pertaining to Bitcoin, macroeconomics, geopolitical issues, and pretty much wherever the wind may blow us in our conversations. Today, I'm joined by Sean Harris. Sean's a professional basketball player, but more importantly, he's a Bitcoiner. And he's had the opportunity to travel the world, play basketball all over the world. And uh, he's found himself in the Bitcoin space. He's also a co-host of The Meme Factory, a very popular and fun YouTube show uh, all about Bitcoin. I hope you'll check that out if you haven't seen it already. Let's drop in now on my conversation with Sean. Sean Harris, uh, welcome to Mind Your Business. How are you, sir? Doing great. Doing great, man. I'm excited. Uh, we've, we've talked a while about, about coming on, so I'm excited to be here today. Well, thank you for taking the time. Um, you know, I try to bring guests that come from different perspectives in the Bitcoin world, and I, I think you have a, a very unique story, at least I, I believe you do, and uh, I'm I'm really anxious to kind of dig in. But as we get started, why don't you tell everybody where you're coming to us from today yeah i am in madrid spain right now i'm playing basketball here so uh you know i've played basketball overseas for a long time and uh the last few years i've been in spain i've been in tenerife and the last two years and then this year uh was fortunate enough to get on a team here in madrid and uh and you know i love it i've played all over the world and uh i'm just gonna keep playing till till i can't yeah, you should. You know, as a as a guy that's almost fifty nine, I can say, you know, there's a there's a certain period of when your athletic prowess is is <laughs> is there, and and obviously you've reached a very high level, and so you know, use it and enjoy it, and you know, I think that's so cool. And I just I happen to have several friends that have taken a similar path to you, and and uh, I think. Sometimes probably a lot of people here in the U.S. don't understand how much basketball is played around the world and the level at which it's played yeah. around the world. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's leagues in every country, and I think that's what people don't realize, you know. And it's funny, too, when when I tell people, yeah, I'm playing in Spain, sometimes they'll, they'll say, like, oh, well, are you playing for Spain, for the Spanish country? I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not a Spanish citizen, you know, but... I, I play on a team in Spain. And so I think it's there's people know about the NBA. And then after that, there's not much that uh, that we know about in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, that's true in South America. It's true in Asia. It's true across all of Europe. And, uh, you know, I don't know enough about it to say, you know, what the relative status of one league is, you know, over the other. But um, I believe that in Spain, especially, they play a very high level of ball. Really, throughout Europe, they play a very high level of ball. So I'm sure you have yeah. a, a great time and are really challenged by that. Yeah, yeah, there's a good level of ball out here for sure. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's probably the highest IQ basketball is in Spain. And so that's what's a lot of fun for me is that's kind of how I like to play. 
Um, I use my body a lot, but then I also like to be able to pass, be, you know, make the extra pass and, and try to play chess on, on the basketball court. You know, if, if you can, why not, uh, just outthink the opponent and then, then you don't have to run as hard sometimes. So you still have to run hard no matter what. <laughs> well, I get that. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I played basketball myself, just obviously, um, street ball and rec ball and all that, you know, into my fifties, but you know, there's always that old man basketball thing, you know, and as you mm -hmm. become an old man, you realize if you want to still play, you have to play that smart way because you can't, you can't out jump anybody or out quick anybody or anything like that. All you have is, you know, knowledge of what might happen next and, and, and try to try to beat somebody there. I've, I've found, <clears throat> interestingly, though, I found having talked to a lot of Bitcoiners, both on this show and and even throughout, that an athletic background is not an unusual background. And uh, I, you know, there, there are guys like C.J. Wilson that played pro pro baseball, yeah. um, James LaVish, who, who was uh, drafted in the NHL. There are people like you. There's a lot of other stories at much lower levels, but still a lot of guys that were athletes <clears throat> in high school or college. Um, I, I've been really surprised how frequently I, I've seen that. Um, have you have you experienced that as well? Um, like guys who are athletes that that understand Bitcoin is kind of what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I mean, it's interesting because. You know, there's a lot of guys who don't. I mean, it's like anything else, right? Like sure. most people that you come in contact with have no clue what Bitcoin is. They don't even understand the difference between Bitcoin and crypto yet. Right. And so um, but if you can kind of talk to guys, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, at least, is is you work really hard at basketball um, from a young age. And so like you, you kind of start your career a lot younger, you know, than, than other people do. And so it's interesting, right? Like you'll, you'll see a guy who's 19 years old who gets drafted to the NBA and he'll, he'll be there crying and saying, I worked my whole life for this. Right. You know, and it's like, <laughs> dude, you're 19 years old. What do you mean? You've worked your whole life. Like, yeah, I guess you've worked your whole life for this, but you're 19. But his career is going to end when he's like 35, right? You know, yeah. or could end a little, you know, give or take a few years. So that's the difference is, you know, most guys, when they're 35, that's when their career is just getting started. You know, like when they're finally hitting their, their, their earning, like their, their yeah. highest earning potentials, that's when they're hitting, like when they're just starting to go. Yeah. And so I think the difference for athletes is we, we make our money like what we're trying to work at every single day, you make the money in a lot shorter window frame, you know? And so that window, it, it closes on you a lot quicker. And you, if you, if you're not paying attention, then you're going to end up like a lot of guys that came before us that made their money, spent it all. And now what are they doing? Right? Like they don't even have any money, have nothing to show from all that time and years and stress in their body that they put in. Yeah. I found it um, from a personal level, very interesting. Like you chose the age 35 because um, you and I haven't had a chance to talk personally before, but in my background, I, um, I was an engineer. Uh, and by the way, athletically, I was most 
uh, I was a gymnast. So mm-hmm. I played basketball and baseball in the radio sports, but I was a gymnast. That was probably what I was best at. And um, the nice thing about being a male gymnast is, you know, there's no pro potential like that. <laughs> that so there's no illusions about, hey, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it big. Right. But yeah. not that I would have anyway. I wasn't that good. But um, I was an engineer and uh, I was I was at Gateway, the personal computer company and became the chief technology officer and took took them through an IPO. And I did well financially and I retired at thirty five. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I'm here today at fifty nine and I'm still going. And the reason I am is that when I, re- I retired at thirty five, I unretired sixty days later. And I realized that I was I was bored to death. I was wandering around aimlessly. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I realized that the goal is not to make a pile of money and then coast to the end. The, and then just a, chill, yeah. You know, it doesn't work. And I, I think that that's what I think one of the problems in athletics as an outsider really looking in is, you know, people haven't prepared themselves for that post that post athletic career and both i mean maybe they maybe even if they did the right things financially mentally have they are they ready for the next step and have a purpose in life at the next step yeah there's there's something called the you know i can't remember i think it's called the 16th second right and it's it's about this guy you know and i don't know if it's a true story or not it's just kind of I've I've heard it from a fellow athlete and it's about this guy who, you know, he set out a goal to be the valedictorian at his university. Right. Mm-hmm. So he studies, he gives up all the parties, he gives up, you know, all the girls, he gives up everything because he's studying and studying and, and making sure he's doing his work. He's doing his homework. He's doing all the writings and, the, and everything he needs to do. He does it his freshman year, sophomore year, junior, senior year. It ends up becoming the valedictorian. He puts in all the hard, hard work. Like he mm-hmm. set out a goal. He did the work. He accomplished it. And he and he won, right? Like he became the valedictorian. And, you know, he's giving this, he's giving this talk and he's, you know, and he's feeling amazing. Um, and, and once he's done, right, for the next 15 seconds, he feels this euphoria of, I did it. I accomplished my goal. Everyone knows that I did it. But in the, on that 16th second, it's almost like, a, well, okay, well, what now? Right? Like, that's the scary moment of what, what do I do now? Right. And, and I think that's what a lot of athletes, sometimes we don't prepare ourselves for that is, are you ready for that transition at the 16th second of, Okay, you've you've accomplished your goals. You've 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 set out what you thought you could do. You did it, but there's more to life than just basketball or whatever sport you play. Like basketball, it's what I do. It's not who I am, and I think that's what a lot of people get wrapped up in. And I know I joke around a lot, and I say basketball is everything on Twitter, and I yeah. you know that's just kind of a joke that that, that I like to do. But but in reality, there is that 16 second that you have to think about. And, you know, I've had two thoughts about retirement for a while now is one is we're, like this life isn't just to work, 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 work. And then one day we retire at 70 and then we die at 65 or 75, you know, like yep. five years later or we just work our whole lives and then we just die. Like there's got to be more to life. 
that's one thought. And then the other thought I have is you can't ever really retire because just like your, your feelings is there, you do have to be doing something productive or else you just get bored. You know, like, like, what are you doing? If, if you're just sitting on a beach all day, every day for your whole life, like, yeah, maybe that for some people that could be living the life, but I think for most people, they would get bored doing that. So, you know, you got to be ready for that 16th second. There should be some type of transition, but your life can't just be all work, 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 work either. There's got to be some type of, you know, if if you've been able to make money, there has to be some type of, I don't know if balance is the right word, yeah. Um, but there has to be some type of life that you're living for more than just the work that you're doing. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice sean and i i like the 16th second i hadn't heard that before but it it you know i lived it and so i understand yeah. it and you know because i think you know you whether it's basketball or in me in 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 my career as an engineer i reached about as high as you could possibly attain and <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of satisfaction like you said i had i had kind of that valedictorian victorian feeling at age 35 and then it was it was there was an empty feeling and uh you know at at the time i had my kids were all younger and i had retired in the summertime and it was in june and the reason my thing lasted 60 days was i spent that summer really doing a lot of things with my kids and at the end of the summer, they went back to school. And that was the, that was really the realization when they went back to school, like, okay, now what do I do? You mentioned like the two paths and I can say that uh, I am a hundred percent behind the second path, which is never retire. I don't like the word. Yeah. The word, if you look, if you look at the word retire, it, it really means to be put out of service. And I have a theory, maybe that's too strong of a word, a hypothesis, that the reason women live longer than men, I'm sure you all know that, right? Women have an average life expense longer than men, is that they never lose purpose. So if I I look, for instance, at my wife or my grandma or, or my mom, all the way till the end, my wife's still there too, but all the way to the end, like my grandma who lived into her nineties, she, she had a purpose in life, which was, you know, her family. It was very, very, you know, involved in the family and playing that role. And I think Mm -hmm. men have a tendency, not that there aren't great grandpas and people like that, but I think they have a tendency more to fall into the playing golf, playing cards with the guys. Um, I live here in South Florida. I see this all the time. Guys whose life centers around what's the tea time. When, when is the card room? Let's meet for drinks. You know, that, that becomes that 65 year old retirement. And, you know, at 68, Mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of dead people because (laughs) of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. You know, it is. Yeah, it is sad. Yeah. But but um, but I agree. I think that there there has to be something more to your life. There has to be some type of purpose, some type of mission that's driving you. You know, yeah. like, like why are you waking up in the morning? There has to be a why behind what you're doing. And and the good thing for me is I was kind of going through that with basketball, right? Thinking 
what, do I, what am I going to do when I'm done playing basketball? Right. Like I went to the software sales world. Um, I stopped, actually stopped playing basketball for two years. Um, then came back to playing basketball. Um, and I think a lot of that was when I, when I realized what Bitcoin was and how I could help in the adoption of Bitcoin that really opened my eyes into, okay, I think I have a path forward. I think I have a, a mission forward that can help guide me. Um, and, and, and the biggest guiding factor is, look, I was, I was a kid who didn't know anything about money. I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. I didn't know anything at all about finances. And, and then I realized like, I am going to end up broke one day because I don't know anything about money. <laughs> I can make the money, but I can't keep it, you know? And so, uh, then I had to go figure out all of these things about money, which eventually led me to Bitcoin. And I think that's that's the way that I see it now is, OK, I'm sure there's tons of people out there who were feeling the exact same way that I was feeling. And they just don't know how to get to Bitcoin. They can't figure it out. So if I can help educate other people along this path. And, and plant seeds because in the, in reality you have to do the education yourself you have to really put in the time yourself to understand this stuff but if i can make available some of some of this knowledge and some of this education then maybe that helps spark more minds and and it helps uh, accelerate the adoption of bitcoin which which i think you know from living around the world and i've lived in emerging you know emerging countries and poorer countries um i understand the positive impact that Bitcoin can have on the world. Where are some of the places that you that you played or have visited that that left a mark on you? I mean, Honduras was was a place that I lived for two years, and that like that was the biggest eye opener for me because I saw firsthand, you know, people living in you know they have ten ten roofs, their houses are made of cinder blocks, the floors are dirt. You know, or maybe cement if you're lucky. Um, no hot water, right? Some people don't even have electricity. So, to me, it was just a big eye opener for for like, look, I'm fortunate to be from. I'm from California. I'm from Sacramento, and so to be from Sacramento, California, to be born there, I have to recognize that. You know, I don't know why. I was born in Sacramento and not born in Honduras. Like, I don't know why I was born there and not born in some other country. And, you know, why I get to speak English as my first language and why the whole world basically speaks English, you know, and they have to learn it. And so there's a lot of advantages that that I had where I was born, when I was born. And so if I can help pass those things along to other people, you know, like the, the old saying where much is given, much is required. And so... Yeah, I think it's I think it's partly my duty to help to help others out and because that's what I would want, right? Like if I was in a worse off situation, I would hope that there would be people that were in a better situation that could help. And so, you know, I don't come with millions of dollars, but I can come with education to help people out. And so it's more like the the teach a man to fish than than give a man a fish yeah. philosophy. Yeah, I was uh, this last weekend um, here in Naples, Florida, where I live, um, there was a, a Bitcoin Day conference. And to close the conference, the the last panel was uh, me, Greg Foss, uh, Larry Lapard, and Gary Leland. It was called mm -hmm. the Boomer Panel. 
And so everybody there is literally from the boomer <laughs> generation. And <clears throat> kind of to resonate with part of what you said there was um, one of the one of the questions on the panel had to do with, you know, why, why are you here? Because for most of us, we're at a stage of life, uh, probably for all four of us, we're at a stage in life where if we didn't have to work, we probably don't have to. Mm-hmm. And we could just be quiet people on the sidelines of Bitcoin, you know, or we could be active. And part of my response to why is that I believe it's a calling at this point. So to kind of resonate with what you said, and I think, you know, we played different roles. I think the four of us, and there's some other older people, certainly people like, you know, Max Kaiser and Michael Saylor are very noteworthy in the older, the older group. Um, But um, we have certain life experiences to bring. Um, We've made all the mistakes, you know, we've, we've survived a whole bunch of things. Um, You know, each of us was successful to some degree in a different career. Um, And I, I think, you know, the, that Bitcoin needs some of those voices um, to, to, and, and we also have the, um, credibility maybe, or at least can open a door into the older generations. I think it's hard for a, you know, a guy like Jack Mahler's is brilliant, but unfortunately a lot of the older generation is going to turn off as soon as they see him. Think well, this person can't. Like when I try to tell my mom and dad about Bitcoin, you know, I'm showing them videos of Sailor, you know, of Greg Foss, like those are the types of videos, Max Kaiser on, on Tucker. Right. Yeah. Like right. those are the videos. And and I'm thankful that there's people in my parents' generation that understand Bitcoin and that go out and explain it. Because if it was just people that look like me, then they, then they probably, it would be harder for them to understand it, honestly, because yeah. they just, it, it, I know we do, we say like, don't trust verify, but there's something about, hearing from someone who does have those years of experience, decades of experience. Yeah. Uh, when you have your own decades of experience that it just comes off differently and it, and it comes off in a better way. Yeah. Know, so needed. Yeah. You'd think it, at least it would make them question themselves. Cause you know, a lot of them are somewhat closed. I run yeah. into that all the time, but maybe, you know, when I, when I get the chance and I know, you know, Greg and Larry are, are, are pretty close friends. And, you know, if we, if we meet a newbie and we just say, well, yeah, I'm heavily involved in Bitcoin. We'll often get a really like, yeah. like, really you are why, you know, and, 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 uh, orange pilling on the spot is very rare, yeah, but, it's tough. but you know, it's probably rare ev- ev- everywhere, but you might, you might just get them to say, Hey, you know, if you get a peak of interest, you know, can I send you a book? Can I refer you to a video? Can I, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, (laughs) excuse me, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, and for the boomers that don't get it, I don't, you know, I think they can change the vector of their family's future if they get it and jump in when a person your age doesn't get it and doesn't jump in, um, I, I, you know, that really worries me, uh, frankly, you know, because uh, they, 
they're setting themselves behind. They have decades and decades of life left and they're going to have kids and those kids are going to have kids. And you, know, you think about the ramifications of that. Um, I teach a lot at uh, 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 Florida Gulf Coast University um, as a guest speaker, um, usually with um, senior level students. I'll go in and we'll talk about monetary policy or um, uh, financial regulation, you know, things like that. And I they bring me in to talk about Bitcoin, one of the few universities, I think, in the country that would be open to something like that. But what I'm shocked by is as you know, typically 20 to 22 year olds, how little penetration and knowledge there is about Bitcoin. And of course I'm doing my best to get there, but, but it's tough. And maybe you see that you kind of refer to it even within the, the community of athletes um, that I'm, I'm guessing it's rare, but I guess that's a question. Yeah, it is rare. And I think, I think there's a couple of reasons why, I mean, first of all, you have to be, you have to kind of go down a sound money rabbit hole to understand what's going on. You have to understand math a little bit, you know, yeah. enough to understand, hey, if the interest rate is at 1% in 20, like, the, you know, if it's at 1.5% on average in 2022, and it goes to 4% or 5% in 2023, you know, what happens to the debt that we're paying on all of our, on all or the interest that we're paying on all of our debt, you know, does it get multiplied by four times? Yeah. That's what's exactly what's going <laughs> on, you know, and how are we going to pay for that? Do we, is, does GDP cover that? No, it doesn't cover that. Oh, so we have to print it and then we have to keep printing and, and it's, it's a never ending scheme of printing. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's parts of that. I think another thing is, is crypto is easily conflated with Bitcoin Sure. And I think that there's there's a thing that's going on, and I don't think that's by accident, right? I think that's part of it's part of this the symptom of the fiat disease, which which fiat over time is has become a mind disease to people. Everyone wants to get rich quick. Everybody wants to win the lottery. Everybody want you know they want to gamble on some altcoin and win you know and hit it big. Nobody wants to actually work and put in the time and grow something and build something. And I think that that's, that's the mind disease that we're seeing going on right now from crypto is that people don't even care anymore. That, like it's, it's almost this nihilism of, it doesn't even matter if we found sound money, I just wanna get rich quick. And so, and that's what I see myself when I see a lot of people that build it, like the quote unquote build and they start out as Bitcoiners, but then they go, Hey, look, all the VC money is going like VC understands I, they can pump an altcoin so fast to the moon dump, and then go to a n- different one and do this perpetually because this is the mind disease. And so a lot of these new founders, they come in and then they start building or they start investing and making services for the other altcoins that don't solve the, the underlying issue, which is central banking control and inflation of, of the money. And that's what we have with any crypto, you know, with any fiat currency. And so I think it's it's this fiat mind disease and it's hard to get rid of it. Like, how do you how do you go your whole life of of wanting to get rich, of wanting to escape the rat race, of wanting to to make it? And then how do you turn that off and say, look, I'm just going to build on top of Bitcoin. I'm just going to do 
what's right for humanity, even if that means I make less money. Like, how do you turn that off? You know, and that's it's not easy to turn that off. And I think that's why a lot of people don't understand Bitcoin right away. It takes time. And that's the whole thing. Like Max Kaiser always says, right, you don't change Bitcoin, but Bitcoin changes you. And it, and that's when you realize, like when you see people are Bitcoin only, then you realize, OK, they finally get it. They understand it because now it's not about the quick gains. It's about it's about making a money and making the world a better place with a money that's honest and true and not with not just like, how am I going to get mine? and screw everybody else but no it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna figure a way to to win but then i'm gonna make sure that i can bring as many people along with me who are willing to do the work as well and so it's it's a very hard mindset to get into and it's easy to get out of that mindset too when you see other people making quick money it's easy to lose that and so it's something that you constantly have to stay up on yeah i think that that's I mean, it's, it's, it's really insightful. I think that it's almost impossible. It's very rare to find somebody who started in Bitcoin and stayed pure Bitcoin or, or, or so that, that started in this world and was only Bitcoin, you know, for, for me at least. And I think for most of the people yeah. I know, they dabbled in other things. You know, I, I started in the Ethereum world in 2017. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think there's anything wrong. Like a lot of us started in tw in 2017 and, and we were like, okay, well, let's just buy yeah. all these altcoins, you know? Right. And then, and then after a year or two, then you're like, okay, I, I get it now. I understand right. what's going on, you know? Yeah. But you do have to take that journey. And, you know, I can say I, I have a degree in economics in addition to my engineering degree, but, um, and then I studied outside of school. I studied Austrian economics starting in about, 2002 oh, but it took me a while <laughs> you, were, you were ready for bitcoin i was ready for bitcoin yeah as a as a technologist who designed computers for a living and a guy with an austrian background you know i like i like to say that you know technology and austrian economics had a baby and it was bitcoin yeah. and plus engineering <laughs> yeah so you know i you know that's partly why i say like i think i have a calling there's a certain role i can play as a as an older guy with those backgrounds. Yeah. You know? And um, we'll talk about it a little more. I think, you know, but, but I think there's roles for, for people like you, there's people like, like Greg Foss and James Lavish coming from the financial world and the institutional world, you know, that, yeah. But, you know, depending on uh, the, the purpose of this, not the show is not religious. Um, I, I try to keep it secular, but I will say that I do believe that, Bitcoin is divinely inspired. We should not worship it. It's not a, I, I, I want to be very clear about that, but I believe it's divinely inspired that, I agree. That, you know, it just, <clears throat> too many things came together in such a miraculous way. And I do realize it, it was, you know, several decades of technology and thought coming together, but it, I still believe it was, divinely inspired for one person or small group of people to come up with it. And um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm in the middle of an article I'm writing. I won't, I won't say too much about it, but it's called um, the unholy Trinity is the name of the article. And 
it basically the the basics of the article. Maybe I'll I'll give you just a little little bit of it and get your comment on it. The basics of the article is that the most powerful organizational structure of all time is the Holy Trinity or the Trinity itself. Mm-hmm. And inside a Trinity, which most people would know as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there are actually roles within that. So the the Father plays um, what's called the authoritative role, and Christ plays the executor role and the mm-hmm. Holy spirit plays it's called the presence role. And so that means basically somebody creates the plan in a Trinity, God, somebody executes the plan, Christ, and somebody acts as kind of the conscious or, and, and the voice of it within the community, that's the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the most successful organizations over time, what you'll find is the U.S. government is structured around that same thing. We have the legislative branch, which acts in the authoritative role, the the president uh, executive branch, which um, obviously acts as the executor. And we have the Supreme Court, which acts as the presence. And if you look at the mafia, for instance, you have the Don who sets the plan, the underboss who executes the plan and the consigliere who, who does this. And, um, but this is all my theory. So you, you or anybody else can call bullshit on it. That's fine. <laughs> I like it. it you but know. yeah, but I believe money has been created in such a way that it filled the same, the modern money, um, where essentially the, um, the executive executor role is filled by banks, big money, shadow banks, um, the, um, executive role is state money itself is fiat money itself mm-hmm. and that academia and the media have acted as the Holy spirit. Yeah. Forcing it. <laughs> the, and the, the unholy Trinity, the unholy Trinity. Right. Uh-huh. And, um, but I believe they're morphing and because they didn't see Bitcoin coming. So, you know, and I believe, by the way, Bitcoin is formed in a trinity as well. Maybe not by plan, but by design that we have the white paper that acts in the um, creator role, the the authoritative role. We have the miners and the nodes, which act as the executors. They, They execute the plan. And we have the plebs, which provide the consciousness of Bitcoin. So we have we have a Bitcoin Trinity mm-hmm. that that's very powerful. That the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That you need all three acting kind of as one. And I think that the the uh, monetary Trinity, the the modern monetary Trinity, that is the fiat system as we know it is M- M- MMT. <laughs> yeah. Modern well, there, yeah, but that Trinity that I talked about before yeah. that that's going to morph. They didn't see it coming and that, you know, we'll I'll, I'll save I'll save the rest, I guess, for another time. But that, OK, but I I, cause I don't want to get too far from from people talking about you, which is why we're here. But, you know, crypto plays a role in that. Basically, you know, crypt, crypto, I become becomes the 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 executive role in that and and um 
you know, the banks are still there. It's still the same creator that, that crypto becomes the executor, you know, and you know, CBDC. CBDCs and Ethereum and, and Ripple and things like that become the executor. And that it's the anti-energy activists and the media now that take the role of um, consciousness by causing guilt, which, you know, that's the, the effect of consciousness is, is that they create guilt. So I ultimately, I believe when the, when the most powerful things are at stake, two trinities will fight each other. And so we will have the Bitcoin Trinity fighting the, the, the revised monetary state Trinity, and they're going to go head to head. They are going head to head, but um, good guy always wins. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, if, if you look at where the logical ending is, it's going to be Bitcoin versus the central banks. Right. And yeah. I think that is, that is where it's headed. And whatever the central banks adopt to use as their tool of choice, that's what Bitcoin will go against. Whether it's a central bank digital currency or whether they co-opt something like Ethereum, which would be ingenious. Like, honestly, if you were the central banks, the thing that you would want to do would be to take something like Ethereum and or to take Ethereum itself and to co-opt it with all the taglines. It's it's more energy efficient, you know, it's decentralized, it's crypto, all of these things, it's for the people, and boom, you've co-opted it into a CBDC, and then you pump and then you pump your fiat into it to pump the price up higher. And so and so the price signals of the NGU tech, right? Number go up technology. Yeah. Then it throws it throws the your average person off because they don't realize you know, why is the price going up or not? They just see that the price is going up, but they don't understand why or what for or what they're giving away by buying into something like that, which is their freedom. And I think that is what Bitcoin ultimately protects is it's this money that not only does it give you freedom financially, but as as far as I can, I have the money to buy what I want it gives you the freedom financially to transact however you want that, that there's it's it's censorship resistant you know you can like no one can stop you there's no third party stopping me from sending from sending or receiving bitcoin and and so yeah do these people in power do they continually want more control the people have always wanted more control since the beginning of time right like that's how it's always been is there's always yeah. been people who wanted to rent seek who didn't want to work and that and it's so ironic that like literally in the names of bitcoin is proof of work which is the people who do want to work and want their freedom and then there's proof of stake which is people have taken out the work and they want to stake their claim and stake their riches and then profit off of that perpetually forever instead of having to provide something of value to actually receive their money and so it's just it's just these things. Yeah, I agree. I think they're headed head to head. You know, um, I, I I think the analogy is is very fitting of that unholy trinity because um, you know I think I think that like in when it all is said and done, like this life is more than just money. I believe in Christ myself, um, and I think it's Christ that saves us. Um, 
and I think that there's people out there who who want to to destroy us. And whether that's, you know, conspiratorial or not, it's like whatever. There are people out there who who would choose themselves over us a hundred times out of a hundred and because they can't see us, right? And I think that's like even if they could see us, I think with the internet, it's just made scamming. Think about how many crypto scams exist. And think about before the internet ever existed, it was so much harder to scam people because it would have to be your neighbor that you're talking to every single day that you're going to scam out of his money. And then he, and then you have to face him every single day. But then when the internet existed and popped up, we could scam someone halfway across the globe that you never see and you never feel their pain, you know? And so it's just all of these things have, have gone up by, you know, a hundred or thousand X, these yeah. types of scams. And I think it is divine timing that Bitcoin has come around at this time. I think it's the idea is ready. They're like people are ready because the problems are getting bad enough. And I don't think Bitcoin would have gotten adopted if if Bitcoin doesn't solve a problem of yours, then you don't adopt it. You know, and I think that that's one of the things is you have to recognize that either Bitcoin is solving my problem right now or it will solve a problem that is going to happen to me very soon. And I, and that's why you adopt Bitcoin. And so I think that's what's hard for a lot of Americans to adopt Bitcoin is they don't see the problems of the monetary system yet. And and because they can transact with the dollar and, and for the most part, that's fine. And they go, okay, well, there's a little bit of inflation. So what? Well, if you look at Turkey back in 2016, they had like 9% inflation in 2016. Fast forward five or six years, it's it's the amount of inflation that they have is unbearable. And and it happened in a matter of years. And I think that's what people don't understand is going from two to 10 percent inflation. That's five X. Right. Yeah. Well, going from 10 to 50 is also five X inflation. So and once you're at 50 percent inflation, prices are changing at the grocery store every single week. And there's no slowing that down. The way I view inflation is, um, you know, we, we've gotten a little bit philosophical and, and maybe even religious here, but I, I think if we look at sin, it's an interesting thing. It's To me, it's either sinful or evil or it's not. And, and so, like, there's no such thing as stealing just a little bit. There's no such thing as murdering somebody a little bit. There's no such thing as cheating on your wife a little bit. Like you, you either did those things or you didn't. And, and, and so inflation is the same way. Stealing, even stealing 1% or 2% via inflation to me is morally wrong. And so, um, and could it lead to worse inflation? Yeah, it usually does. It usually doesn't end well, right? I mean, hist well, history says it, it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent record of ultimately a currency collapsing <laughs> because of this. Because so, of inflation, yeah, you know, but I, but I think that that's, I think that's one of the things with our society, and and as an older guy, I'm not saying I I haven't done bad things in my life, but, um, you know, you realize like, yeah, there's no, there's no a little bit of this. It, it's either a good thing or a bad thing. We were talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, that's, you know, that's your consciousness. You're either something is either good or bad, and you know what, you you know it. Like you, if you're, if you're 
crossing a line, you know, when you've come to the line and if you're crossing over the line, you know, there, if you're honest with yourself, there are very few, if any points in your life where you go, well, I, I didn't really realize I was doing something wrong until later. And I look back on it like that. Yeah. And and it was judgment error, but, but in terms of an ethical, like what's right and wrong, uh, you know, yeah. And I think the good thing about Bitcoin is whether you believe in in any God or not, whatever religion you are, it doesn't really matter because money touches everything in your day to day life. And it's important, like it's important in the now in this life to make this life better. Uh, you need to have better money. And just like what you're saying, you know, it, there, any inflation is incorrect because as soon as we start to inflate the money supply, which that that's where the word comes from, right? People think like, oh, deflation and inflation. A lot of times they get them reversed. Even Peter Zahan got it reversed. I think he was on Joe Rogan and he was talking about, he was talking, using the words of inflation and deflation. He was using them incorrectly. He was using them inversely. He didn't even understand what he was talking about. Yeah. But as you inflate the money supply, you increase the money supply what always ends up happening without fail is that prices increase faster than wages. And so even if you increase the money supply one time, you've stolen from somebody somewhere in the in that in that population who uses that currency. And that's what a lot of people don't recognize is someone is getting stolen from because it's never, hey, we're going to we have a million uh, our population is 1 million. We're going to increase the currency by 1 million units and give one to every single person. Okay, well, then why did you, why would you increase, why would you increase or inflate the currency in the first place? Why would you not just keep it where it was? And that's the issue that's going on is people don't understand that as the the currency gets inflated, it never gets distributed proportionally amongst the population what always happens without fail is that it gets distributed improportionately across the population and someone gets stolen from who is it no one knows right like we don't know we don't we can't pinpoint exactly but it 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 normally ends up being the poor people who save in that currency who don't have assets who don't have stocks who don't have homes those are the people who suffer because they save in the currency and they and they lose because their wages don't increase at the same rate of inflation. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think the problem here in the Western world, whether that's here in the U.S. or typically like in Western Europe or even a place like Japan is um, inflation exists, but at least in the in the last couple decades it's been largely managed in uh, a small area so even those that were on the short end of the stick it takes them a while to feel it it's more like a series of paper cuts instead of you know an amputation of a limb Mm -hmm. but when you look at other areas of the world like you said, the people in Turkey right now, if you happen to have lived in Lebanon over the last couple of years, if you live in Venezuela, obviously, you're you're getting limbs taken off. And so who's suffering actually is obvious. The, the, the people suffering feel it right away. 
but it's almost like, hey, you know, the the disease is so rampant that it's a terminal illness now. And so, you know, you didn't do something about it when it was still treatable and curable. And yeah. it's it's too late. And I think that's I think that's where we sit. And and maybe one of the benefits of the last couple of years here in the US is some knowledge that, you know, people of working age feel inflation. I can say that as a boomer, I remember inflation. So in the seventies, we had, well, we had stagflation in the seventies. And I remember the stress that it put on my parents. So I would have been like in my, my early to mid teens, let's say when this was really going on. And so I knew how difficult it was for my parents and you know, and, and even now I look back and I realize I still didn't even actually grasp it completely. I just, my dad, who's 80 now, he was visiting me recently and, um, he used to work three jobs and, but he was a white collar guy. So he was a white collar guy. I would mm -hmm. say probably a middle management type person working as an accountant for a, a steel company, but he was still working, um, evenings in a liquor store and on the weekends in a grocery store as a clerk. I mean, that's what wow. he had to do. He had to, to make it in that time period. Um, when my mom and my mom was working too, as a, as a paralegal, so typical middle-class family, but that's mm -hmm. what it had. They had to have essentially four jobs for two people raising three kids. And, wow. um, uh, we weren't poor, you know, we weren't rich, but we weren't poor, but you know, that's what they had to do to make it. And, and, you know, mortgages with 13, 14% interest rate, things like that. Like that's, yeah. that's pretty tough, but, but there aren't a lot of people left that remember that, like, you know, or, or that, especially that can feel that if you weren't born before about 1965 or so, you probably don't remember that. And so this is probably the first experience for, for those next generations to feel this in the Western world. But, but in the rest of the world, I kind of come back to that a little bit because uh, I asked you about it like you were in Honduras. And I think that that's, that's the beauty of being in those places is you see the problems of money um, well, a whole bunch of other problems too, but, but you yeah. see the problems of money when you travel in those places. And, uh, that's one of the things when I speak, that's often what I'll, in the first two minutes, I'll say, you know, please try to separate yourself from your position here in a first world country with, you know, a, a government that as much as I complain about it, you know, is still relatively uncorrupt and a banking system as much as i hate it that's that's um still gonna respect your request for withdrawals if you make them like you, you separate yourself from those kind of places yeah but even 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 i mean it's interesting to say like that our government's not corrupt and and you know if you listen to a guy like gladstein right one one of the things that Glad, alex gladstein talks about is since you know since the imf has been around, which the IMF, International Monetary Fund, one of their main jobs is to give loans to countries, emerging countries. And what's what's ended up happening is that they've basically given the shark loans to these to these countries. 
And it normally looks like, hey, we're they're doing a good job. They're giving money to these countries. They're going to build up their businesses. They're going to build up their economy. They're going to be able to pay off their loans. And then and then they're going to be able to escape from this. But what ends up happening is they get trapped in these loans. And instead of ever paying off the loans, they just keep getting restructured, restructured and restructured over and over again to the point where there's now more money coming from from these emerging countries or third world countries, whatever you want to call them. There's more money coming out of those countries in forms of debt payments to the first world countries than loans that are going to the, those countries now. And so it's it's all about the flow of money. And that's that's what a lot of people don't understand either is these countries aren't just, you know, aren't just uh, poor because, you know, what are they are they dumber than us naturally? Did they is there naturally are they more corrupt? No, they, they've been they've been trapped in in certain types of of loans that are somewhat of shark loans. And and I mean, if you're a leader of one of those countries and someone offers you billions of dollars, you're going to take it. And then you're probably going to spend it and not spend it on your infrastructure, your country. That's what's happened over the years. Um, but, you know, going back to what we we're talking about, I think like the, the, this is in, in the seventies and the eighties, you know, Paul Volcker ended up raising those, those, the interest rate to what, 15, 16, 17%. I think might've hit 18 even, but 18%. Yeah. And, you know, Jerome Powell, there's no way that he could do that. And that's what, what we talked about at the beginning was purely off mathematics. You know, Paul Volcker wasn't sitting on $32 trillion of debt, which the debt that we have in the form of bonds, most of it being bonds, gets rolled over. At, you know, 35% of those bonds get rolled over every two years. So every two years, there's, you know, whether it's the 30-year, 20-year, 10-year, you know, whatever it is, 35% of those are getting rolled over. And so that's what's going on right now is we have we have so much debt and it's the payment on the debt that that is the huge burden when you start to raise rates. And and that's that's like this thing is we have inflation that's increasing, but then, you know, we want to raise rates to lower the inflation, but we can't do it because then the interest payment becomes unpayable without having to print more money which the printing of money causes inflation in the first place so it's this never-ending cycle that yeah. we're stuck in that's why they call it the debt spiral yep yep and you know second order effect of that i'll speak you know in the boomer world here because i'm around these boomers is like when you when you start seeing the interest rates go up and you see the uh, um uh the reaction of Wall Street and, you know, and you see equities decrease in value, which is what we saw in the last year, right? That um, people freak out because yeah. if, if you're done earning money, uh, you know, your, your pile is all hope, right? I hope, yes. I hope I make it to the finish line and, yes. And, um, but those people can exert a lot of pressure too. So, you know, in fact, we've seen the Fed, the Fed change a little bit in maybe even saying what its objectives are. You know, it used to be full employment or as close to full employment as possible and, you know, price moderation. 
and now now there's rhetoric and and i've 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 seen statements that you know maybe market stability and things like that are also mm-hmm. formal edicts they've always been informal edicts but i mean that goes back to you know is this is this organization itself you know inherently evil by evil i'm not necessarily saying you know work of the devil but you know is it is it really serving the people or is it serving something else and i'll go back to that trinity thing i talked about i i would say you know the central banks and the government serve a, a, even a higher power and if you look at you know uh, i'm sure you've heard some of uh, listening may have heard me talk about you know creature from jekyll island and some mm-hmm. some books like that before look at look at how the Fed was created, who the players were, how they were constructed. Um, I'll save it for the article, but I have a whole piece in my article about that. And that the well, even the, even just yeah, even just to think that we can that we can have one central governing body that can control the money and the cost of money for the whole population is pretty insane. Yeah. You know, two people doing business in Iowa in the middle of nowhere. Why should they be affected by someone in Washington D.C.? Like, why, why do, why do they have the control over those what they deem business, and why are they the ones that decide that they get to print money? You know, that doesn't make any. Like, why should the money have to come from the government? How come there can't be somewhere else where the money comes from that isn't controlled by anyone? You know, and and those are all questions that that we've obviously asked ourselves going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole or going down the sound money rabbit hole in Austrian economics. And, and that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it separates the money from the state and which is a good thing. The state shouldn't have control over, over the money. We should have freedom of choice over what money that we want to use. Yeah. Well, I, I, when I look at it, I think, you know, let's say, let's say you could pick, the smartest 10 people in the world, whoever, whoever they are, you know, and, and the best mathematicians, the best economists, and you tell them, okay, you're in control. Um, and even if you have access to all the data you want, like that group also has access to all the data I want. I have very little faith that they could figure out how to manage money supplies and interest rates to optimize the potential <laughs> for all the people. I don't think it's possible. Um, I, I, I just, I think that, you know, when you go to first principles, when you look at the great Austrian thinkers, you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, an economy is a living, breathing thing. And, you know, you can't, you can't contain it. You can't, expect to understand it the first sort second third fourth order effects of actions it's too complex so the best thing to do is leave it alone and let it be whatever it is and over time the expectation would be it would somewhat self-stabilize and you know the the there might be areas of the world that are doing better or sectors of industry that are doing better um, at certain periods of time, but that's just the way it's supposed to be. You know, I mean, that's we're not supposed to have zombie companies, right? Companies that are failing are supposed to fail. And Mm -hmm. 
yes, it's unfortunate. Yes, people lose their job. Yes, a whole bunch of capital that got put in um, got got lost. But that's the nature of risk. Like like you know, and and uh, it's creative destruction, right? <clears throat> that's yeah, that's yeah, just and part that's of, okay. it's part of yeah, it's part of capitalism is yeah. is creative destruction. It's good for the economy to have businesses that don't work; they should fail. But the, the the issue is that the United States has now become a zombie country, where we owe where we are our expenses are greater than our GDP, and then the question is, well, how you know how long do you like, are we at the point of no return, you know, and how long how long can we kick the can down the road before before the inevitable happens, you know, before a Weimar Republic type of event happens. That's that's the question that we're all trying to figure out how long until that happens. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think most, most people would agree that to a certain degree, the only reason we've been able to even sustain ourselves with some level of stability in this position is because we are the global reserve currency and hold yeah. the global reserve asset. And so, um, how long will the rest of the world tolerate our behavior? And, you know, as a person who spends a lot of time overseas, that's married to somebody who was born in another country. Um, you know, I, I can say, I see evidence that patience is running thin. And, you know, as, as a guy living in another country right now, I'd be interested in like your perspective of, um, you know, how do you, how do you think, in general, others perceive America, the American monetary system. Um, you know, for, for instance, you're in Spain right now. What do your teammates say? It's you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of them don't don't pay attention to what's going on. They do feel right now prices are up in Europe and in Spain specifically. The prices are up, you know, and so to them, they're like, man, these these prices are are high. But to them, it's just, it's it hasn't hit this this boiling point yet. It's almost like you know the old saying of boiling a frog in, in water, right? Yep. It seems like that's what's going on, where there people feel the heat in Europe and they feel it, but they're not jumping out of the water. They're not looking around to figure out why is why are prices going up. Um, and it's the same thing, right? In the United States, everyone wants to blame the rich. They want to blame oh, it's the greedy, it's the greedy corporations that are causing this. It's not, it's not the, the federal reserve that, that injected trillions of dollars into the economy in, a, you know, in a year and a half or two years. And so I think that's what a lot of people that they, they can't find the true source of why the pain is there. And if it's not strong enough, then they're not going to really look yet. And, but then when it does get strong enough, it's too late to look like that's that's what people don't understand is you know if you're in weimar germany and and you had these whipsaws in price eventually you you should start figuring out why is it doing that maybe i should get myself some gold back in those days and um if you wait till once once your paper currency is toilet paper at that point it's too late like you you failed and there's and there's nothing that you own anymore and so I think that's the hard part for people to understand is 
you know, I'd rather be safe than sorry. And, and it's not, you know, it's not an unsafe investment or savings, which is Bitcoin. And I look at Bitcoin as savings more than I do as an investment, because to me, an investment would be something that produces, produces cash flow where Bitcoin doesn't produce cash flow. And I think that's what a lot of these guys like Buffett and, and Dalio that they miss about Bitcoin is that it doesn't, it's not some stock that you value or what are the revenues, you know, you know, earnings per share, all this other stuff. You don't look at it like a stock, you know, this is sound money that we're looking at. And, and so, you know, that's why to me it's savings and savings are completely different than, than an investment. And so um, you should be looking for the best thing to save your money in when you're hitting some type of, of crazy inflation, because most people inflation is going to move a lot faster than their wages are. So you're going to have to work just like you were saying, your parents had to pick up, you know, your dad had to pick up two extra jobs to handle that inflation. It's going to get to the point where it doesn't matter how many jobs you pick up, like the prices are going to move faster than you could ever, than you could move. And so you have to put your wealth in something that, that will be able to handle it. And luckily like we have something like Bitcoin and, and this is what gets me is people say, Oh, Bitcoin's too volatile. Right. Like, well, what is, what is, there's nothing that's too volatile. Like any, any investor, if you want to say it's too volatile, any investor knows that you just have to position size. And so if it's too volatile for your portfolio, then you then don't buy as much. Right. But to say that I'm not going to have any Bitcoin is, is, oh, because it's too volatile is actually something that doesn't make sense. And, you know, if you buy a house, you can't look at a, a four hour chart of how much your, of how much your house costs, but you can buy Bitcoin and look at the one second chart of Bitcoin and how, of how it moves. And you can, and I think a lot of people get caught up in that volatility of what it's perceived volatility of bit of Bitcoin. And in all reality, someone young like me, we want, I want something volatile. And if you are younger, you should want something that moves quickly in price because yeah, it's going to hurt when it goes down, but something that goes up fast inherently of itself, even if it only moved up would be deemed volatile. And so I think that's what a lot of people don't understand either is, you know, yeah. Do I want something that's crazy volatile? It's always moving up and down, maybe not, but you know, I do want volatility. I just want volatility to the upside. And you never hear anyone complaining about Bitcoin's volatility to the upside when it's moving up. You only hear about it when it's going down. Yeah. And I, I think you would know as you get deeper in the rabbit hole, you learn a couple things. And the first one is that Bitcoin didn't change, something else changed. So the price moved not because of Bitcoin it does its same thing every 10 minutes so mm -hmm. it it didn't it didn't really change it's just as stable and secure and doing its job and so it didn't change yeah um and and number two just to keep a simple example if if you have 21 bitcoin you own one one millionth of all the bitcoin there will ever be and so whether the fiat price is 16,000 or 23 or 69 
thousand. If you're saving, I think that's a very important point, and you're saving for some future point, whether that's um, when you're 50 or for your grandkids, you don't really care. It doesn't yeah. matter that much, and you just keep stacking. Um, and I think, as you said, I, I, I think it's a great analogy about home values because Bitcoin... <clears throat> At least one positive thing is if you watch like the business channels, whether it's uh, Squawk Box or you watch Fox yeah. Business or, you know, whatever, those sort of things. Bitcoin is a very prevalent part of it now. So, I, you know, it's risen to that level where it is it is a daily part of conversation. So 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 that's a very positive thing. But the negative thing is it's being viewed in the same manner that Tesla stock is. And so mm. um, it's perceived volatility is a result of that. And so it's it's fiat people with fiat mindsets measuring Bitcoin in their world. And, yeah. and there's a point, and, and everybody starts there. I mean, it would be naive to think that people, people start mm -hmm. there, but there's yeah. a point at which you start separating yourselves a little bit now I run mining companies, so I also there's also certain things. If you run a business in the Bitcoin world, and the thing you produce is Bitcoin, which is what I do, then the fiat price matters because I still have costs. You have expenses. I have expenses that unfortunately I still have to pay in fiat. If I could pay them in Bitcoin and lock in my energy costs and my labor and some other things in Bitcoin, then I would, and and it would allow me to run my business differently, but we have to straddle that, um, yeah. that, that difficult world. So yeah. let, let me, let me switch gears a little bit. Um, Sean, um, <laughs> I became, excuse me, aware of you first from meme factory and mm -hmm. um, which is, I had the honor of being a guest there several months ago, which I enjoyed quite a bit because it's a very yeah. unique uh show and format and it's a lot of fun but maybe let people know you know how what is it and how did you get involved and how did it get started and a little <laughs> little of the meme factory story yeah i guess meme factory came around um there was a lot of us memeing just on bitcoin twitter in what 2019 2020 and um you know, we were all kind of just doing our own fun memes. We all kind of knew each other a little bit. Uh, we'd follow each other. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously, eventually, we we came together as a group. Um, and it was fun because we would be, we were kind of, we were going down this Bitcoin rabbit hole all at the same time. And we would get on Telegram and talk or different things and talk and, and uh, became really good friends. And so it just ended up working out really well um, that we Did you know anybody this... physically before then or it was all virtual? No, no, we didn't know. No one knew anyone oh. in that group physically. So we all became friends through Twitter, through Bitcoin Twitter and and for our distaste of, of you know, fiat economics of of the altcoin world of all that stuff. So um, and then and then of our love of Bitcoin. So we, we would all just meme it and a lot of our memes would come from we'd be listening to different podcasts or we'd be reading something and then especially especially for me you know 
I would be thinking about some, I would be thinking about something in Bitcoin or in money, and then I would listen to a podcast, and then it would and then it would touch it, and then I'm like, oh, this this meme would be perfect for it, right? You know, and so then I just started to make memes doing that, and then and then we ended up, uh, you know, we did the laser eye meme that was our group we did the laser eye meme and um that's why most people have laser eyes uh on their profile pictures now and so that was a ton of fun and we've just noticed you know as you do memes as you, as you crack some jokes it's fun to give information and education but it's also fun to 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 just kind of to relax a little bit during this time we know that bitcoin's gonna win it's just a matter of when, you know, and um, but we want to do our part, too, and help educate. So another fun thing that we're doing is with the meme factory is we have the we're doing the having party because the Bitcoin having is coming up in 2024. And so we're doing the having party in El Salvador and um, we have a location ready and um, it's going to be awesome. Like it's it's going to be a march. And, you know, to me, the having is is this huge signal that a lot of us don't even think about within Bitcoin um, because, you know, there's a lot of things that are interesting about the having. I would say, number one, if you don't understand what the having is, then it's really hard to understand why Bitcoin's price moves up from cycle to cycle. You don't even realize that there are cycles in Bitcoin as far as the dollar price is concerned. And so the first thing that you have to learn about Bitcoin, or one of the first things, is that there is a halving. And even and looking at price from last cycle's high to this cycle's high and last cycle's low to this cycle's low. Um, and if you can understand that, then that helps put a good framework around, oh, Bitcoin's price is going to continue to move up. Another thing that it, that it signals is that no other altcoin pumps on uh they don't have they don't have other cycles that they pump off of it's all off of bitcoin and so if you look at like any other altcoin that's lasted any more, you know longer than 4 years which most don't those altcoins always pump the same time bitcoin pumps off bitcoin's having so it's just another it's another signal that bitcoin is the only thing um you know and then obviously the having to me shows the scarcity of Bitcoin as well, because it shows us that, you know, I think Adam Beck, you know, obviously it's it's an easy, it's an easy calculation, but every having is 210,000 blocks in every epoch, epoch or epic, whatever you want to call epoch. it. Yeah. And if you multiply that by 50, because there was 50 Bitcoin in the first Bitcoin, you know, in the first block reward for that first epoch, there's 50 Bitcoin in that block reward. We multiply that by 50, but then you have to do that by the sum of one over two to the nth power, because that's the halving every 202,000 blocks, it gets cut in half. And so it shows the scarcity that there can only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. They're actually, because of that equation, there actually can only be a little bit less than 21 million right. Bitcoin because it's an asymptote that approaches 21 million and never actually touches 21 million, which is pretty insane to think about. Um, and then I guess, I guess the last thing that, you know, something that, that I think is just cool in general is the structure of it is, so the first epoch was 50 Bitcoin in a block reward, like we mentioned. Well, after that first 
after those first four years, after those first 210,000 blocks, 50% of the Bitcoin that will ever be mined had been mined. And then it went, and then the block reward gets cut to 25 Bitcoin in the block reward. Well, in that epoch, 25% of the Bitcoin that will ever be mined was mined. And then it gets cut to 12 and a half and the same thing, 12 and a half percent of that Bitcoin and that epoch. And it continues to do the same thing. So it's, it's this beautiful structure, uh, how the having, and it's, and it doesn't seem it's by chance. And, and it's really this amazing thing. And I think it's this signal that a lot of us as Bitcoiners are missing to, to explain because a lot of people think that the having, when they hear having, they think of a stock split, you know, just like what we were saying, you go on squawk box. Yeah. Most of the people probably don't even understand what the having is because they'll think stock split, right? That's what the world that they come from. And it's not, it's, it's this, it's showing the scarcity. And so the reason why we're throwing the having party is to get that education out, to be able to celebrate the, the bear market that we went through. We know a bull market's coming. We don't know what a world with, you know, a block reward size of 3.125 Bitcoin looks like. And we won't know until that happens. And that's what's beautiful about it as well is that it's it's this supply shock that no one knows. And obviously, as you know, uh, you know, without mining, you know, mining, play, understanding mining plays a big role in into the having um, the having plays a big role into how miners act. And, and you also have to understand the difficulty adjustment. So there's a lot of different things that are pl that play into the having, but, you know, I think with, with the meme factory, we're, we're, we are really excited to, to be able to throw this having party and, and to celebrate something that's super important and that will be celebrated whether we throw a party or not, you know, I, we just figured, Hey, it's going to happen. There's going to be a having party eventually. So why not just get started now and and start building something that that will be amazing for years to come? Yeah, I obviously as a miner, uh, I'm very aware of the having, and yes. I I have my own little model where I try to track the date of the having. Um, but I I think you did a really good job of describing the having in, in a way that people can understand. Um, even if you're not a math person, um, and you know, that, that's part of the beauty of, <clears throat> I think the having of the difficulty adjustment, which you both mentioned in your, in your monologue there were, you know, those are, those are at the heart and core of what Bitcoin is and what makes it work. Um, Bitcoin is not Bitcoin without those two things. Um, th they are fundamental. And I think it's wonderful to celebrate that transition, um, it, it becomes, I think, yeah, symbolic of the essence of Bitcoin. And, you know, that's, that's why I sell it as a miner. Um, it's not good, I guess. And, and the, in the first order effect, because obviously our rewards in Bitcoin get cut in half. And ultimately that's what I want to do. I'm in mining to stack Bitcoin. Yes. So, so there's a little less for me and I, I have to compete for it. Right. But, but it's almost, um, it's a, it's almost like a graduation. I, that's kind of how I feel like, Hey, we've, we've entered the next cycle. Like we've graduated to the next cycle. Um, 
So you're you're holding the event in El Salvador, though. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about what you've got planned. I know it's a multi-day event, um, and you know a part of that I assume is we really still don't know exactly what date and time the having will occur. So that creates yeah. a little bit of an issue. Yeah, historically, at least you know from what I've seen, the having you know the having gets predicted. Oh, it's gonna you know a year from now, it's gonna be in in a end of April or early May, right? And then it ends up more hash comes onto the network because more miners are feeling the same way you are. Hey, we need to get more Bitcoin before the, the halving occurs. So normally a hash rate picks up and um, the halving gets closer, you know, gets pushed up. So we're, we're, th we're already picking a, a date. It's going to be in March, um, the middle of March. Um, and we're just going to, and whether the halving occurs on that date or not, uh, our goal is to celebrate the having it's a celebration of the having not necessarily yeah. on the having um but it's going to be at this resort uh right on the beach um we in el zonte you know, i assume right it's an hour from el zonte okay um because it's it's resorts got over 500 rooms um oh, okay it's gonna we we want as many people to come down to celebrate as many people from el salvador to celebrate um it's it's a free country right you can come in you don't have to get any type of covid test or anything like that you can just you can come to the country um and and be able to celebrate it's all you can eat all you can drink you know drinks it's going to be all inclusive so um that's the one thing is a lot it's a lot of times people go to you know to the bitcoin conference in miami or wherever they pay for their ticket and their hotel and their flights and then they got to buy you know these extravagant meals or they take some bitcoiners out for drinks that's one thing about here is like you don't got to worry about your food and your drinks and any of that stuff. So um, and there will be some education. There will be some people talking. It won't be your your normal conference. It won't be a conference where there's, you know, three different stages, people talking all the time. You know, th there may be two or three or four speakers in one day and that's it. Right. Yeah. And then the goal is to bring Bitcoiners together to be able to meet other Bitcoiners, to be able to talk with other Bitcoiners, to be able to experience El Salvador, because a lot of people want to get to El Salvador yeah. and haven't done it yet. And so I figured this is a good excuse to say, hey, you know what, if I'm ever going to go, why not go during the having? And that's a great, you know, and El Salvador, I think, is very good for everyone to experience. I was down there over the summer um, looking for venues uh and just scoured the whole coast and finally found this place um it's awesome and uh but it, but we definitely should experience el salvador right now i think is is important because it'll be good you know this is the first country that's doing this with bitcoin and i think for bitcoin to win el salvador has to win uh i think that's important for el salvador to, to continue to win and um, and I think we can help by coming to El Salvador as well as as Bitcoiners to help to help El Salvador win and to help Bitcoin win. And, and that makes, you know, it's 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 not this zero sum game. I think it's it's this thing where we can all become winners on the Bitcoin standard. Um, but it, it takes time. Right. Like El Salvador is not going to go from, you know, one of the you know, one of the poorest or or dangerous countries in Latin America to the best in, in one year, it's going to take some time. And, and that's the good thing is they, they have made a bunch of changes. And, you know, when you go down there, you, there's no danger. Uh, you're very safe. 
um, Boot Kelly's done a great job in, 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 you know, taking away a lot of those people who, who were in the gangs and different things like that. So it's, it's an amazing country and, and I think we should, we should visit. And that's why I wanted to plan it in El Salvador. I think it's wonderful. I think you made an excellent choice. Um, Lola and I, my wife Lola and I have made two visits there. Um, Mm -hmm. and I can echo that we've haven't had even the tiniest bit of concern about our safety at any point in time. Um, the, access to transportation and communication and um you know nice restaurants nice hotels um all that is very very good um you know it's not it's not a classic third world situation um i've i've had a fortunate life and been able to travel all over the world and it, <clears throat> what i've come to realize is you can feel very quickly when you get into a country, whether or not it's on the rise or the fall, or it's, or at least it's stuck in the morass. And from the time we got to El Salvador, you know, I had that feeling right away that things were, were on the upswing. Um, Respect for traffic laws, as an example, you know, we, my, my wife and I, when we've traveled internationally, it's one of the first things, you know, we kind of recognize and her being from the Philippines, which I think is unfortunately still a country stuck um, and, and falling over its feet. But as, as she'll say about the traffic laws there, she'll say, you know, there are no rules there are only suggestions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I know it sounds funny, but if a country is that way, you'll find that in their traffic laws and the, the way people drive, then there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff that is all messed up too. But like when you go to El Salvador, I know this will sound funny that people um, are driving the right direction. They're obeying the stop signs. They're obeying the, the traffic lights. Um, the The cars on the road are, are nice cars. So you just get this feeling like, yeah, things are, <clears throat> things are going well. So just, I I'm, I'm really supporting that if, if you're out there listening and you haven't made that trip to El Salvador, this is probably a great time to do it. And you'll be there with what hundreds of other Bitcoiners too. And so even yeah. if you do have a little bit of concern, I'm sure you can hook up with somebody, fly in on the same flight as somebody else that you know you have a relationship with and you know get over your uneasiness. Uh, you'll get over your uneasiness very quickly. And um, your event is like a three-day event, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it'll be a three-day event. But yeah. I would I would really recommend, you know, spend at least a week, um, yes. you know, go to I mean, go spend a, a day or two in San Salvador in the capital and you can hike the volcanoes and there's uh, there's there's plenty to do and plenty to experience. Um, their, their English is pretty, pretty good. If you don't speak Spanish, you'll you won't have trouble, um, you know, milling or mill, getting <laughs> around. People will understand you and they'll be if if. Even if they don't understand English, they'll do a good job of, of, um, you know, you'll, you'll figure out a way. Don't worry about it. That's yeah. That's yeah. I definitely, I, I would suggest the same, right. You want to make sure like, don't just come to the having party, but yes, yeah, st- stick around for a week, yeah. right. You're coming to El Salvador, you know, yeah. the having party will be, you know, you can get in on Wednesday night, stay at the hotel and then we'll be having fun Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you can head out on Sunday, you know? So that's, that's what it'll look like. And 
and um it'll just be a lot of events a lot of you know a lot of food good good food good drinks and uh more importantly just like when i go to a bitcoin conference i'm going to meet other bitcoiners and i think that's that's what we're going to be able to provide is yeah being able to meet other bitcoiners and and share in in this thing that we've been able to figure out and uh and then celebrate like, we've been able to make it through this let's keep enjoying for the next four years like this is yeah. gonna be a fun ride and the ride right after the having is always you know it's the most exciting ride right after the having so that's it's yeah. gonna be fun and then uh and then we'll gear up for the next having party in 2028 wherever that one will be but uh we're focusing right now on yeah. on this one and um, I believe I, I was looking, I, I think there's a website available for people um, where they can learn about the having, right? The having party. Yeah, yeah just go to BitcoinHavingParty.com and um, and that'll take you to our Substack, and then just sign up there. Yeah, it's a free sign up. Oh, we're just going to give you some more information. Uh, that way you don't miss out on on the cheapest price ticket of the cheapest prices for the tickets and and everything that we have. So uh, yeah, and have Bitcoin you opened that up yet? That have you set the prices yet? Uh, we have not. We haven't set up prices. Are not on sale yet. Uh, we still have about you know a, like a year, two months until we're gonna do the having party. So I think in the next uh, three or four months, then tickets will start to go live. Okay. So we'll um, we'll put we'll put both the link to the the YouTube channel for Meme Factory as well as the having party in the show notes. So if you're, if you're interested in either of those, I highly recommend both. Um, then we'll do that. Um, I've got one more thing I want to do with you, Sean, before we let you go just for a minute. So yeah. one of the, we, we play a game here. It's called, um, I'm going to share my screen with you. Give me one sec here. Uh, there we go. And, uh, we're here. We play a game here called Corrupt or Incompetent. Mm -hmm. And um, we're going to play a version of it with you today. Do you see that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Corrupt or Incompetent. So <laughs> you, you, um, we're going to, we're going to put a, a person up and a little quote um, or video clip from them and then yep. give you the chance to, to comment. So our first contestant today is Jamie Dimon, who um, uh, on the heels of Davos said, uh, Bitcoin is a hyped up fraud. It's a pet rock. So um, I give you a chance to just talk about Jamie Dimon, his quote, and uh, you know anything else that comes to mind here, corrupt or incompetent. Yeah, this this is a quote from, uh, yeah, from, from in Davos, when he was in Davos. I, I would say that Jamie Dimon is corrupt, <laughs> not not incompetent. Um, he knows what he's saying. He's no he knows exactly what he's doing. He he said that uh, that Bitcoin it was it was they're interested in the blockchain technology and not yeah. Bitcoin. It's like come on, dude. What is this? Twenty seventeen. <laughs> we, you know we're interested in the blockchain technology. What is blockchain? Like blockchain technology is nothing without Bitcoin. Why not just use SQL as a database? You know, so I think that's it's funny. Um, he, you know, he said that Bitcoin's used for drugs back in the day, and 
you know, and then 2019, uh, JP Morgan gets caught with like a billion dollars of drugs on their ship, you know, and they get fined. And so it's, he's, he's, he's corrupt. He knows that he can make money off of, off the altcoin space. And um, he hasn't figured out why he should be making money off of Bitcoin. So I would, I would say he's corrupt. Well, I would definitely agree with you. Um, uh, Mr. Diamond has made several appearances on corrupt or incompetent because every couple months he um, comes up <laughs> with a, with a new quote, but you know, I, I would perceive by the way, JP Morgan chase and Jamie diamond as if you go back to that Trinity, I talked about, they, they're kind of part of the, the top layer. They are the bankers. Um, and so I also view, you know, the, we present a direct threat to to the very infrastructure they're built on. So, well, they, I, they created. I mean, they were they helped create Ethereum. Like that was, yeah. You know, J.P. Morgan yeah. was part of that <clears throat> creating. Well, yeah. I mean, the Fed itself, the the meeting at Jekyll Island was held in J.P. Morgan's cottage <laughs> on Jekyll Island. So. <laughs> And don't and don't don't forget all this competition that died in the Titanic a year before that. Yeah, he was supposed so, that they were supposed to go on right. So yeah, <laughs> so, interesting stuff. So our next one is our our friend Peter, who <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier. So I'll just play a few seconds of this clip. Yeah, come on, I'm gonna try at least. Oh. Great. Well, the the we're having technical difficulties. Oh, there it is. Oh, here we go. I can't. I can't hear him. Okay. Sorry. Well, here we'll just go with this in the interest of time. Uh, but uh, Peter on Joe Rogan's show, and the quote is, "It's all going to zero except for Bitcoin, which will probably go negative." So he's actually more optimistic about crypto than he is about Bitcoin. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if Peter Zahan is. I mean, I listened to this whole thing. Uh, I think it was like a week or two ago. Um, and, and and he was basically just just it, the, the things that he were, was saying. I think that he is. Uh, what was it? Inept? I think that he is inept. I don't think that he's incompetent. Uh, or inco incompetent. I but think that's a good word too. Yeah, I think that he may just be incompetent as when it comes to Bitcoin and sound money. Um, I think he has a lot of good ideas on the geopolitical sphere, but I don't know why he doesn't understand Bitcoin. And I don't under I now, you know, the more that I think about it, he does actually know quite a bit, and I don't know why he's against Bitcoin. I actually listened to him. Back in 2020, he was on Pomp's podcast and I listened to him and Pomp asked him about Bitcoin back then. And he's and he had nothing good to say about Bitcoin back then. So he hasn't changed his stance on Bitcoin. I don't know if it's just like he created a, a stance back in the day on Bitcoin and then just hasn't up, upgraded his vision or if, and he's digging his heels in now because he doesn't want to be wrong which could possibly be true, or maybe he, and that's why he would be incompetent or maybe he's corrupt in some way that I don't, I don't even know about <laughs> who knows. Yeah. 
I think some there's a spook somehow. Who knows? Right. I think there's a lot of people. Um, I mean, I think all of us probably to a certain degree, when you have to admit you're wrong, it doesn't matter what you're wrong about. Um, yeah. You know, there's you have to suck something up. Right. And and that's hard. And when whether it's this Peter or Peter Schiff or Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger or, you know, there's a whole group of them. It's highly unlikely, in my opinion, they'll ever admit they're wrong. They're just so deep into the um for years i mean peter schiff has had i mean he has to admit that he's wrong for years i like i told some friends back in 2017 and 2018 oh it's not bitcoin it's blocked i was saying that to friends right yeah then i had to turn around and say guys i think i was wrong i think it's actually it's not blockchain i think it is bitcoin (laughs) you know yeah yeah and but it's good though because now when they go, oh, all you all you do is talk about Bitcoin. Why don't you think any of these other coins? And I go, well, if you guys remember, I actually did say that it wasn't that Bitcoin was like the the MySpace of of crypto. And then and then I learned and then I learned more and then I re- so it was actually good that that I was wrong that I didn't dig my feet in, that I changed, that I changed. Well, I didn't just change. It was like I received new information. I evaluated that information that I received and that I was studying. And then I, and then I acted accordingly with that information that I received. And so, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily like, oh yeah, I just flip flop for no reason, but it was, I had to upgrade my viewpoint. And I think that's, it's good that my friends could see that at least because I told them uh, something that was completely wrong. And then I had to say, look, I was wrong, but now it's, it works out because they go, oh, you say there's no second best. Um, and you just think it's just Bitcoin, you know, but then I'm like, you can't say I'm closed minded because I used to say the opposite, you know, and yeah. I think it's good. I think it's pretty hard though, uh, to go to Peter Schiff when you've been saying it's worthless since it was trading at a hundred dollars and you've been vehemently telling people not to do it. And they mm-hmm. missed what would likely have been the greatest wealth building opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> and you're a wealth advisor and a financial person to begin with. That's a pretty tough, you know, humble pie to swallow. Um, so, but, but what's crazy is that <clears throat> as Bitcoin continues to adopt, it, I like there's a real possibility that it's big, like its biggest percentage movements. Or, or some huge percentage movements are coming up in the middle of this decade, like 2024, 2025. Like there are, there is a chance for some massive movements in Bitcoin's price upwards. If, if certain countries start to fall into Bitcoin, if other companies start to fall into Bitcoin, if we start yeah. to see inflation going through the roof as the Fed decides to, you know, realize it has to pivot and inflation you know all of these things can align and if you know if there's companies out there where people buy bitcoin and they realize that they have to self-custody it think about there was like what four billion dollars i can't remember there's a like at least a billion dollars of bitcoin on ftx that was all paper bitcoin they had like one bitcoin on their balance sheet when they're supposed to have over a billion dollars worth of bitcoin so think about the price movements that can happen 
they're still, I don't think there's diminishing returns yet. And so I think that there's some huge price movements still to be had in Bitcoin. And if Peter Schiff would change his, his, his mind right now, he could still partake in it and still look like he was an early adopter. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, Peter, if you're listening, um, we will accept you. <laughs> he understands he understands what's wrong with the monetary system like he understands that just fine but he just i don't know what he doesn't he's he's stuck in gold and doesn't get bitcoin yeah and it's kind you know i I, i'm friends with larry lapard and you know larry lives in the gold world as well and you know it you know he always say it's a very small step from from gold to bitcoin but Mm -hmm. um they're there's a lot of people who have spent a lot of years, some you know, people my age who have spent decades as gold bugs waiting for gold to to return to its, you know, shiny to do what glory. Bitcoin has done. Yeah. And and I think to be usurped by something new is just it's 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 a difficult pill to swallow. And and I I have found some of the most ardent resistance points from gold bugs because i can get like the arguments about money and Mm -hmm. inflation and uh, all these sort of things okay they get that like we're in violent agreement about that and then they can't see the flaw of gold they they just can't see that bitcoin is superior to it and virtually every characteristic and they just Gold, I mean, gold has done a good job over the past thousand, two thousand, three thousand years as being sound money. And I think that's what was good about gold was it showed people that there could be a sound money. And I think that that was important, but but it wasn't the sound money, which Bitcoin is. And gold is a step backwards, right? It's not Internet native. How can I pay? How can I pay for uh, for if I want to buy something across the globe? How do I buy that with gold? You can't. You can't transport yeah. it across the globe, but you can with Bitcoin. And so I think that's like that's what people miss is gold is a step back. And then okay, well then we'll have a gold backed currency. Okay, well then we just end up right back where right we back are. Where we started in, right in the fiat world, and that's the problem is gold always leads to fiat because you can't because because it's not portable to the likes that we would want it to be portable and you can't, you, it can't be transported over the internet. And, um, and that's where it fails as money in an internet age. And I think that's, that's where Bitcoin succeeds. Bitcoin is provably scarce and gold is not. And, you know, there's all sorts of things about why Bitcoin wins with characteristics as money but that's what you know. People when they go down the the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you have to go down what is money, the what is money rabbit hole, and you have to understand what are good characteristics of money. And people, we don't use money. Money doesn't become money just because everyone agrees on it. And I think that's one of the biggest one of the biggest fallacies out there is people think that we use money because we all agree on it. No, we use money because biologically we end up using the hardest money that is. And it's just subconscious that we that we gravitate towards that hard hardest money, and because it because it doesn't have any defects, and and I think that's what people realize. Oh, like people couldn't even explain to you why we use gold as money. 
oh, because it's shiny. It's like, no, we don't use gold because it's shiny. There's other reasons why. And, and, um, you know, gold has done its job and I don't, and I, you know, it's not good to hate on gold because it's done its job, but Bitcoin's here to take over and, and to really be that sound money for an internet native world, which, which we're ready for, you know, and that's, that's the good thing about Bitcoin is I think the world is ready for it now. Well, I think that's an excellent ending point there, Sean. Um, the, the, I think the world is ready for Bitcoin too. And I greatly appreciate you taking uh, time out of your day uh, to do this. I know you have another, uh, another important uh, podcast to join uh, with a, with a meme factory announcement. So all the out there, uh, make sure that you've, you've gone out and caught up with the meme factory folks to see about yeah. their latest and greatest. Um, we'll have uh, all kinds of details about Sean and the meme factory and the having party in the show notes. And I thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you, Sean. Thanks. Thanks. A special thanks for Sean Harris for joining me all the way from Spain today. Sean's experience in the international world as an athlete, I think gives him some very important perspective that pretty much everybody can learn from. It's important to always remember that money means different things to different people because they come from places where the soundness of the money, the soundness of the banking system can be very different. And Sean's experiences in places like Honduras give us that reminder. But maybe more, even more importantly, I think what Sean does is shows that really regardless of the background that you're coming from, you can play a role in Bitcoin. And what Sean's doing with the meme factory and the having party that he is helping put on are bringing the entertainment and celebratory perspective to Bitcoin. And I think that's sometimes something that we miss. We get caught up in the mission to fix money and fix the world. And sometimes stepping back and having fun and celebrating is a big piece of keeping our positive momentum going. So I appreciate everything that Sean does and I wish him the best in what he does. And I hope you'll think about joining him in El Salvador for the having party. I know Lola and I will be uh, strongly considering that as well. Thank you for your time. And please remember that nothing in this podcast should be construed as tax, financial, or legal advice. 